McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts from Bosby. Bosby are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Bumpy fans, and once Pierre Forecast, episode 188. Well, the transfer window has just opened, but Pompey has stormed ahead and signed five new players. Let that sink in. Join the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Hello, Bunce. Yeah, after signing off and saying, have a great summer, everyone. We'll be back just before the season. It's all kicked off in the transfer market. So it's been, what, two and a half weeks since our last proper regular episode, and uh, we're back. So. That goodbye looks a bit stupid now, hey? But yeah, I'm, I'm well, thank you. Yeah, having a, a cricket weekend. So hoping that the thunderstorms on Sunday do not come through because that will be a very wet day at the test match for me if uh, if that happens. And he's got his outfit sorted. Little jump around the around the shoulders, right, Andy? Jump and around the shoulders, bottle of champagne, um, yeah. some, you know, some sort of sunglasses with a chain around the back of them so I can hang them around my neck. And I'm just going to say, yeah, 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 repeatedly yeah. all afternoon and sound either South African or like a toss, um, depending Jack on, Wills, on what Jack Wills flip-flops, I heard as well. Just Jack Wills flip-flops, exactly. That. Yeah, yeah. And very brightly coloured shorts. That's the plan of action. And um, I'm going to judge anyone that earns less than £140,000 a year, um, which obviously you can tell by looking at someone at the cricket. So I'm I'm looking forward to really fitting in uh, Edgbaston tomorrow, yeah. Um, or we'll sit in the hollies and just get absolutely rat-assed on Red Stripe and um, sing. Either or. Not a cricket fan, but the second option definitely sounds like the one I'd want to be doing, I'm going to be honest. I 100% agree. I'll keep you posted on where our tickets are because <laughs> I don't actually know because I didn't organise them. But yeah, we were we were just discussing off the call the, type, the types of people or types of characters you come across at the cricket. There aren't very many of them I like, considering I love the sport so much. <laughs> Yeah. We're such a we're such a happy bunch, aren't we? We <laughs> are. You yeah. Went, went to a T Twenty last night, having a lovely time, and just me and my mate spent most of our time just complaining about the people around us. And to be fair, the amount of beer that got spilt on us from the stairwell. But I mean, it's T Twenty, is it? Isn't it? That's uh, that's what's going to happen. Anyway, I'm glad we're branching out into creating a cricket podcast. I think there's a good niche for this in the Portsmouth community. So I'm happy to do a sort of a cricket segment. We could do an Ashes preview at the start of every episode for the next few weeks. Yeah, you can go fuck yourself. Um, joining us back on the podcast, Freddie <laughs> Webb. How are you, Freddie? Oh, I am very well, thank you. Enjoying the lovely ports of weather and ports of sunshine, which is always very nice. And uh, yeah, when I'm not working, just heading by the beats and chilling out, really. That's basically been my week. Freddie, rumour has it that after this call, you are heading to the beach to do a, a Portsmouth news story on how many people are enjoying the beach in the sunshine. Is that a, a rumour that uh, has any well, element well, of truth well, I'm not to work- it? <laughs> I'm not working this weekend. But it, you you may see a, a news photographer uh, saying, oh, you joined the beach, here's a family picture, that type of thing. 
Um, are you are you that photographer? Are you just preparing, sort of sowing the seeds so you can take photos of strangers on the beach? For no, I, I'm not that photographer. One of our photographers did get shouted at, actually, which was very sad for him. He got abused, which is horrible. Well, but I yeah, mean, so that, that's what you're taking a photo of, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> Should be a little bit more careful where you point your lens in life. Something, um, something about. Consent. <laughs> I think well, obviously I, that's what photographers asked for beforehand. He's not just randomly doing it, is he? <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm not in your line of work, Freddie. I just imagine a guy in a, a long trench coat with nothing underneath it and a very large zoom lens, and that's not a euphemism. That's what I imagine the photographers in your in your world to be. Yeah, exactly. G- giant pack of Harry Bow and a small kitten. Um, right, let's get in. <laughs> let's get into what we're going to talk Sorry. about, please. First of all, we're going to go through our thoughts on the different players and just get our instant reactions to all, all five of Pompey's new signings. And then we've decided to get some extra guests as well. We've got the guys from the Shout at the Oval podcast who are going to join us as well to talk about Terry Devlin. We've been working bloody hard, haven't we, guys, in the off-season now to try and get you some reaction to all these news that Pompey have very kindly sprung us on my week off. But right, let's get into it, boys. Let's start from the top. Terry Devlin. Obviously, he had quite a lot of interest as well from other teams, reportedly, according to Freddie's mates over on the other side of the office. But he's a, he's a, he's a midfielder as well. Another one we needed. Obviously, we got rid of Ryan Tunnicliffe, and I think we've gone to go and get someone who's young, hungry in the ball, likes to move the ball forward quite a lot. I think it's nice for us to go out and get, again, someone pay a fee, obviously, as well, and invest in the team. I don't know really know that much about him as a player, to be honest. So I'm looking forward to talking to the guys uh, on the podcast soon with the interview coming up because I don't know a lot about him. Andy, do you have a lot to to give back on that? Surprisingly enough, I've not actually seen him play for Glen Torren myself. Uh, it's one of the the very few Northern Irish teams I've not extensively scouted in in all that time I've spent um, on that side of the UK. Um, I did enjoy the slightly generic quotes we receive when he signed. So Terry can run, he can compete, and he can score goals. And I can do two of those three things. But I mean, I guess the third one is particularly important. But I just really enjoyed the uh how do you define he can compete? How do you define he can run? I enjoy I just enjoyed that a lot. I don't know why it's such a a generic review of a new signing. He can do these three things that are integral to a football player of any level. But no, I'm quite excited about this one, purely based off shameless optimism and doing what I do every off-season and just getting overly carried away with fans of other teams bigging up their players after they've left. But for someone of his age who has got you know international experience in his age category uh, for Northern Ireland, and it's, it's one of those occasions when you sign a player and the, the reviews from the fan base are overwhelmingly this is deserved he is going to do well he's earned this chance he tore it up last year as one of the best players in in the league over there over the course of the season and it will be really interesting and I'm, I'm actually just fine with the club taking a risk like this because there are some fairly safe signings you know are going to come in and put in you know a six or a seven out of ten performance pretty much every single week they're fairly safe signings they've played in league one before they're they know their level but it's sort of a fairly low risk, fairly moderate reward. Whereas this type of signing is, yeah, it's a bit of a risk. And I'm I'm well on board with that because if it doesn't work out, you know, 
these things happen. He'll find the level he should be playing at. But if it is the right level for him, and you know, it's a three-year deal again, as we as we mentioned with other players as well, the sort of the ceiling of the reward is is much higher than I think it is for some of those other signings that you know the normal League One out of season signings that the Pompey make, for example. So, yeah, quite excited. And again, you've got players coming in who they've not been burned through bad experiences before. It's kind of like. You know, they used to say with the England cricket team, you know, when when I'm bringing it back to cricket, that's right, Hugh. So there was a, a sort of a, a generation of England players who had just been repeatedly just dicked so much by the Australians that they were kind of worn down by it. And they, they had a bit of a mentality just because they were so used to just falling short. Whereas he's one of these players that's coming in and he's got no negative connotations, no negative experiences in League One of, you know, missing out on the playoffs on the last day against Accrington or being relegated or, you know, just having really poor experiences with the fan base, et cetera, et cetera. And it's coming in fresh, open-minded, which means there's a lot of possibility there. So I do think that we potentially might need to be a bit patient at the start of the season because the the number of people he's playing in front of is going to be an increase. I would, I'm saying that as fact. I haven't actually looked at the Glentor and home attendances. So, do excuse me if I, if they're pulling in 30k a week, but I'd imagine it's going to be an increase in the number of people he's playing in front of and probably the the fan base pressure and looking how how nice all of the Glentoran fans seem to be on social media. Uh, it seems like, a, a, not that the Pompey fans aren't nice, but in terms of the reaction you can get on social media, if you put in a poor performance or the team concedes late or loses a game they should have won or just doesn't turn up, there's, there might be a bit of an ad- adaptation process needed there. So I think we'll need to be patient first couple of games in the season and uh, kind of let them bed in and, and adapt and, and grow into the side. And if we do that, I think it could be quite a promising signing. Yeah. Freddie, how do you think it fits into a midfield with Pompey going forward? If you look at how, where we are, where you see him fitting in, do you think he suits like a 4-3-3, four, a four, three, three, playing in one of the two more progressive possessions? Um, if from the rust that's I've looked at, I think that pretty much hits where he is. I think he usually plays right in the middle for Glen Torum from the little bits that I've looked at on Y Scout. I haven't watched him play extensively, so a lot of this is basically down to look at the statistics and looking at a few highlight packs and stuff. Like Andy said earlier, the reactions about Terry Devlin being signed by Pompey is all all positive. Um, Stephen Beacom in the Belfast Telegraph said it was well deserved and he was one of the better players in the league last season, considering that this season played about 35 games and 3,479 minutes in the league and in the Irish Cup at 19. That's uh, that, that's no mean feat at all. A 19-year-old playing in a, in a men's league consistently at, well, at any level, purely down to the physicality alone. I know that's very stereotypical, but it is still something to keep in mind when signing young players. Five goals and two assists from his 5.17 expected goals. He does get high up the pitch with that from the uh, from the highlight packs that I've seen. He can handle himself in the duels as well. They're about average to slightly above average for the league. And at 19, he doesn't seem to be the tallest. Um, I don't know how tall he is. Nothing, nothing came up on that. One stat that did jump out at me, though, was he was the second highest in the Northern Irish Premiership for offensive duels. And what that means is Jules, where he's involved, where he is in the possession. So the ball seems to stick to his feet quite well. 
which is a big thing. He doesn't get knocked off the ball very well, which is a massive plus. And then one of the highlights I saw was a splitting through ball where he wins possession just before just before the halfway line and then puts in a killer through ball all the way to the striker, just takes the entire back four out completely. And that sort of thing impressed me. And it's really good to see, first of all, that we're taking a risk on him. And really, it just adds to the centre midfield depth that we have. If you're playing the 4 3 3, you would assume that Pack would be the anchor player and then Morel and Lowry would be the two progressive players. Devlin fits in behind them. I'm not sure where that leaves Joe Mingi because obviously his future is still up in the air. And yeah, we're not sure he could still leave to go somewhere else because he's, again, it's another midfielder in the rotation. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. But no, I'm excited about the Terry Devlin signing and definitely want to know more about him. We spoke to Matthew from the Shout at the Oval podcast to get the lowdown on Terry Devlin. Matthew kindly jumped on the podcast pretty short notice on a Saturday afternoon, so it's really appreciated. So here's our chat with Matthew from the Shout at the Oval podcast. All right, I'm here with Matthew Brown from the Shout at the Oval podcast. Matthew, thanks for going on the show. No problem, lads. Thanks for, uh, for thanks for having me on. No, thanks for jumping on. So we're here to discuss Terry Devlin, who's obviously come from you guys um, at Glentoran. First of all, I just want to get your a feel on the club, really. I know we talked about you, you guys suddenly have a bit of turmoil and stuff, a bit of changeover and stuff going on at the club, but... This season just gone, it's been a pretty successful season, isn't it, qualifying for Europe? And how did Terry Devlin fit into that? Well, uh, yeah, I would say it's been a semi-successful season. Um, Glenthorne were bought over by a benefactor, basically an investor, uh, a couple of years ago. Um, a guy called Ali Poor. Um, he's Welsh Iranian, uh, a multi-millionaire, and he invested very, very heavily in the team. So by now, I think we thought we would have won more silverware, but um, we went. We started the season on a 15-game unbeaten run. We were sitting top of the league by November, and then um, we started getting a few injuries, uh, mainly to a guy called Conor McManaman, who's our he's our star player. He's another player here, possibly might leave this summer. He he plays North Ireland uh, in, international. Very very talented player. He he got injured. And then everything just went, just fell apart from there. We went on a, a huge on um, a huge run of not winning a single game. I think it was like eight games, maybe ten games, um, off the back of a fifteen game winning streak. Um, and then it looked like we went from being title challengers to maybe looking like we might not even finish in the top six. But we managed the the manager left, Mick McDermott left. Um, he is also a board member at the club, so it was always seen, you know, he was unsackable. But he went to take a job up with Carlos Quez over in um, Qatar. Uh, and then we got a new manager in, Rodney McRae. He took over the helm, steadied the ship, got us into the European playoffs, qualified for the um, the Conference League. And then he's just recently left to go and join a team who's just survived relegation. So we've now hired manager Warren Feeney, who um, it's gone down like a lead balloon with the fans. Um, in terms of where Terry Devlin fits in, he, we signed him last last summer and a swap deal again last summer was mental uh for glenthorn fans it was just there's there's there would be so much to talk about it was just a crazy summer and terry davin came in pretty much as a bit of an unknown player the glens did have their eye on him they bid sixty thousand pound according to the manager in the january previous 
that was rejected uh, by the club. So we ended up swapping a player for Terry Devlin. That player was a guy called Caelan Marin, who's a very capable centre-half, ball-playing centre-half, um, very, very good player. Uh, and this, he he basically became very uh, disillusioned at Glenthorne for some reason. Something happened with him and the management. Uh, no one really knows, and there was a fallout. He asked to leave. The Glens wanted to, sh- to ship him out. So the, the Glens offered him the Dungannon on, I believe it was deadline day, or close to deadline day, in a swap deal. Signed Terry, and he hit the ground running straight away. You know, this kid came in. The part of Northern Ireland he's from, they uh, they play a lot of Gaelic football when they're younger. I'm not sure if he is from a Gaelic football background, but he certainly looks at he's extremely sturdy, uh, well built, and then coming into the full time setup, uh, that's just really escalated. And uh, yeah, he was just he, he was a very very important player for us. Um, looking at the reaction of um, not only the Glentoran fans that are leaving, but also some of the um, journalists out in Belfast, a lot of them it was pretty much the reaction was universal. It was all. He deserves it. He's had a brilliant season. He was one of our better players. He deserves the chance to go to England and be a part of another football club. Do you think that's the case? Do you think he definitely set the ground running this season? 100%. Uh, I have seen many players throughout the league um, in Northern Ireland make the move across the water, uh, get homesick or just not have the, the sort of the rub of the green. Maybe they get injuries or they just can't adapt to that standard of football. Terry is equipped with all the tools to go on and make it at that level. And I think that your manager giving him the deal that he has, the three years with the option of another one, shows that he's confident in that too. I do think he'll be a full Northern Ireland international. Um, he has all the strength and uh, all the ability that it, that he would require. A lot of players would go over there from part-time football and they wouldn't really have that sort of either the level of fitness or the strength or even sometimes the ability to just maybe stand out in our league, which is um, not anywhere near the standard of League One. Uh, but I do think that Terry will go over there and I think he'll hit the ground on an easy, but 100% deserves his opportunity. Um, and, the, and the thing about him too is his attitude is absolutely first class. Like he's such a good kid. He's he's really, really well liked around the Oval. The management love him. All the players love him. Um, so he'll be, he'll be a big loss. Probably the moment be playing as sort of a, a three in midfield. Do you feel like he would slot in in one of those sort of like a number eight sort of box to box role? Is that the sort of role he's been playing for you guys? Yeah, we we exclusively um, three in midfield. Really, to be honest, uh, sometimes we just try to switch up to five. Just didn't work. Terry, I seen your manager describe him as a, as an attacking midfielder. I'm not too sure I would describe him as an attacking midfielder. He is very much box to box. He would have actually sat deep quite a lot and let the other midfielders get forward ahead of him. But he still did manage six goals this season. He's actually in the top twenty percent of goal scoring midfielders in the Irish league. And um, for the season just passed, he he can lo- he loves a tackle. He could run for days, so he'll just run himself into the ground. He'll not struggle on big pitches either. To be honest with you, we play in quite a big pitch, and he really did. He played well at the likes of Windsor Park, which is um, our international stadium, and it's also a, a quite a huge pitch. So um, I don't think he'll be phased by that. Yeah, I think that he'll be he'll slot in perfectly um, in that midfield three. He compliments the players around him a lot, and. We brought a player in there recently, um, Junior he's called, and he's very much a hold-up forward. Now, I never really like a hold-up forward. I think it's an excuse for a striker who isn't very good um, and won't score goals. But he is, he's very, he's, he, after a really slow start, he's been very impressive. 
and he was allowing Terry to get forward more with his hold-up play and the other midfielder towards the end of the season. And to be honest with you, Terry could have had a hat-trick in some games. He started the add goals to his game. And I always said that if he did add goals to his game, he would be the complete midfielder because everything else he has in his locker. You mentioned earlier about his physicality and that was one thing that popped into my head because it it could be perhaps a very stereotypical opinion to have, but a lot of younger players who drop down into the football league either from Premier League clubs or Championship, they're not equipped for a more physical style of football than League One. And you've mentioned it's the same thing for Northern Irish players crossing the water into League One as well. I saw a stat where he was, for centre midfielders, he was the second highest for offensive duels, which basically means that he when the ball the ball manages to stick to his feet very well and he can hold it. Is that is that true as well? Can he deal with the physical pressures of playing against, well, perhaps more defensive midfielders, do you think? Yeah, well the thing is about Terry, he's been playing men's football since he was seventeen. Um, you know, and that's that's the thing about these players, as opposed to I always think you're better cutting your teeth in the Irish League at the top end of the Irish League rather than going to like, for example, a Portsmouth U system. Because they're playing underage football where winning doesn't matter where you're playing against other players of your age and it's all about development he's went in he's got the fans on his on his back every week if he makes a mistake which he never makes mistakes but he if he did make a mistake he was um going to have the fans on his back um he is physical uh he's he's really strong in the tackle he's really strong on the ball uh, if the ball's there to be won, he's there to win it. Like he, he will not. You'll not see him uh, jump out of any tackles whatsoever. And I, and I always say that players that do thrive in England are these players like Terry, who have got like he must have around a hundred uh, appearances across the two clubs under his belt, and he's only nineteen years of age. You know, so that's that's definitely going to benefit him. This isn't the, a a young raw kid who has just come from a youth academy and you're taking a punt on him. This is someone who has played at the top level in Northern Irish football and is training now with the, the Northern Ireland first team. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the the training of the Northern Ireland first team. Do you think not only his sort of raw ability, but his the mentality you spoke about and the fact that he's liked and just that sort of, I don't know, winning mentality is the reason he's been brought into the squad? Or maybe that's just me scripting a story. Is there is there anything behind that at all? I think that he's probably brought in the squad for two reasons. One, because, uh, you know, he's had a great season that he has. Northern Ireland are looking at him as being future. He's another 21 international. But also there is a risk in Northern Ireland that if your players are good, that they'll be poached by the Republic of Ireland because they have this sort of agreement in place that you can have dual nationality, you can carry both a British and Irish passport. So if you're good enough, you could be poached there. And there's obviously a lot of people in Northern Ireland who would support the Republic. So there is a huge risk that you lose the players. So I think Michael O'Neill is probably being cute about it and he's thinking, we'll get him in around his peers now. You get to know these guys, uh, and you know if he does well at Portsmouth or well wherever he was going to go, because there was lots of clubs interested in him. We've known that since January. Then Michael is probably thinking, you know, we are not want to leave these guys. It's close to home. You know, don't want to spend his international weekends in an, like in Dublin, say for example, when he could be uh, close to home. You mentioned that other clubs are interested in him. Just looking at the comparison, do you think Portsmouth is a better move for him than? perhaps some of the other clubs who are interested in him. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, uh, Sunderland and Stoke, huge clubs, uh, playing championship level, but I think that you're, he's much better cutting his teeth at League One. I, I used to watch a lot late, late in Orient uh, back when they were in League One, when I lived in London, it was um, around about 2013, so they were uh, they were consistently in League One, challenging at the top, and I always thought that um, Terry, that is the level that Terry's probably 
cut out for, I think, at this stage of his career. Um, nothing to say he can't go further. There's a lot of people who do expect him to go further. It's it's really hard to compare, to be honest with you, the the Irish League players into the um English League. But I think that he's just got all those um attributes. And I think that uh yeah, Portsmouth they're a huge club with a with a sort of a big history behind them too that um I think he'll he'll really enjoy um playing there, you know. Obviously Terry's coming into a squad where even if you're playing in a midfield three, that midfield three is sort of set. You've got Marlon Pack, who's played in the in English Championship for a lot as the anchor. Then you have Joe Morell, Welsh International, who will probably play in one of the progressive spots. And then Tom Lowry, previously of crew, when he's been fit, he's been class as well. Do you think Terry may get a bit frustrated that he's not playing week in and week out, obviously, which he was doing for Glen Torren? Do you think that would be a factor in his development at all? Well, when he came to Glenthorne, he didn't go straight into the team from memory. You know, he he um he took a few weeks for him to get in. Then when he got in, he he kept his place and he's basically consistently there all season. Terry would be really good friends with Oshin Smith, um, who made the move over to England. Um, I think he was at Oxford United there. He's maybe on loan um last year, and his game time has been extremely limited. Um, so I'm sure he would have had these conversations with the likes of Oshin. Um, and other players, there's other players that have made the move over from Northern Ireland that he would have known from the under-21 setup. So he'll know he'll have to bide his time. He is only 19 years of age. Um, what he'll, he'll really benefit from is, you know, all, although we're full-time in Northern Ireland, we're one of the um, the few full-time um, professional clubs. The, the facilities he's going to be training at, at Portsmouth are going to be at a different level. Um, so I, I imagine that... That's going to help him kick on too. So even though the fact that he might not be playing every week, he's going to see himself improving week in, week out with the facilities and the coaching, the players that he's playing around. And he's going to probably take his game to another level. Now he's going to know that that, that is going to open doors up for him. And even if it didn't work out at Portsmouth, I have no doubt. I don't think he's going to be one of these players that just comes back to Northern Ireland. I think that he will find himself in another club in England. But I, I am very confident that, that Portsmouth is the ideal club for him. The only other thing that I thought about was um, obviously Portsmouth in the past. Uh, they previously looked at the Republic of Ireland for Ronan Curtis um, a while about signing him from Derry City, but they haven't looked to either the Republic of Ireland or Northern Ireland specifically. And then there was a trend by football league clubs of bringing a lot of Irish and Northern Irish players on the cheap with a lot of a lot of potential. Do you think Northern Ireland, depending on where you look, is a good place for football league clubs to potentially get some potential players in? Well, absolutely. With the new rules with, with Brexit and things, it's became um, a, a cheap and viable hunting ground for um, English clubs. Uh, and I think that looking at our youth academies, there's a lot of players that make the move straight to England from our academies. A lot of Premier League clubs would sign um, our players from academies. But I do think that the best place to look would be in the top division when they get into that into that first team because they really do thrive then if you look at all the players who have really done well like Mark Sykes and Shane Lavery and uh, players like that who have all made the, the move over they've all played first team men's football in, in Northern Ireland before making the move over um, whereas you get the likes of uh, Caelan boyd Mons. He signed for Middlesbrough from Glenthorne, but just from our youth academy. And and then he, it didn't quite work out for him. He went to, he's at St. Murray now. He's just signed a new deal there, actually. But um, players like that, you know, straight in from youth academy, I don't think it works out as well for them. So I do think it's a good hunting ground. I do think that it's going to cost a lot. It's going to cost the English clubs more money. I, I've, I've literally no idea what the fee is for Terry Devlin. Um, that is a, a, one of much speculation in... Um, 
Northern Ireland, I do think that it'll be a heavily insensitised um, deal. I think that we'll have a sell-on clause, we'll have an international cap bonus and a, an appearance clause. Um, I'd be surprised if you paid any more than 150000 which is still good money uh, for Northern Ireland's club. So it shows you sort of the money, because I know you guys didn't really sign anyone for any sort of fees last summer, but previously you've broken that half a million sort of mark or close to one million or thereabouts. So if you're getting a player, if Terry Darren works out, it's very, very low risk, but it could be a huge reward. That sounds like good recruitment for the team. Matthew, thanks for coming on the podcast, mate. Why don't you tell people where they can find you online? Uh, you can get me on Twitter at Shout at the Oval, um, or you can find me on Spotify and all your uh, streaming uh, podcast networks. Nice one. And is it as sunny in Northern Ireland as it is down here in the south of England? It's been absolutely smashing for about a month now, and then I'm going to a gig. I'm going to Paul Nutini gig tonight, and it's just it's looking really grey, and there's thunderstorms. Uh, <laughs> there's thunderstorms, sort of brewing. So that's not ideal, but uh, it has been it has been great um, so far. But sure, the south of England's always always sunny. Always sunny in the south coast, right? <laughs> yeah, correct. <laughs> so <that> Philadelphia. <laughs> All right, next. Um, <laughs> speak to you soon, mate. Thanks again. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Will Norris. Freddie, I want your instant reaction to what you thought about the signing of Will Norris, please. Uh, instantly, I didn't know much about him, but I did recognise him from that strong Peterborough spell. Because if you look back at the last season, Peterborough were quite languishing in mid-table before they brought in Darren Ferguson. Will Norris came in, although from Burnley, I believe, started, started in goal and impressed largely. Um, his statistics show up. Um, six foot, Six foot four keeper, very very solid with his saves. It's it, it looked similar to like a Matt Macy signing actually, and it seemed sensible when you know Luton were commanding a fee for Matt Macy, where we could just get Will Norris for nothing. So it seems like a sensible signing. I wasn't underwhelmed, but I wasn't jumping for joy either. I, I think it's just a solid pickup to be honest, and it allows for finances to be put elsewhere. Andy, what are you feeling about Will Norris? Yeah, not dissimilar to Freddie. Uh, what I've seen of him in the past, um, he is a name I recognise, and I've, we've seen him play at Fratton a few times. He's a keeper that, for me, is sort of middle of the road in terms of he's not absolutely blown me away when I've seen him play, but at the same time, he's come across as a pretty solid keeper. And, you know, we see some horror show keepers down at Fratton Park from time to time where you just feel like if you get a shot in on goal, there's a decent chance of it going in, and he, he didn't come across as one of those. So... I'm fine with it. I'm also extremely conscious of, you know, looking at what fans of his previous clubs have said, particularly Ipswich fans and, you know, Burnley fans and comparing that with what we heard about Matt Macy before he arrived and the reviews for Matt Macy before he turned up were pretty diabolical and, you know, basically laughing at the Portsmouth recruitment team almost for even considering recruiting him. And he came in and, for me, did a, a pretty brilliant job for the most part when he was at Fratton Park. So I'm very conscious of history not repeating itself in terms of social media reaction. And it's nice to see a bit more of a positive reaction, at least from the Pompey fans, to this one. And, uh, yeah, I think it's, for me, it's a solid but not spectacular. You'd imagine he's coming to be number one, uh, number one keeper. So it's pretty much certainly the end of that consideration of looking at getting Matt Macy for another season. Uh, so, yeah, it's just a question of whether or not Joshua Wayami is going to be kept around to be number two keeper or loaned out to a League Two side. And then 
another keeper brought into Pompey as a uh, as a backup. I think it came out in the press that Pompey are looking for a second. Keeper. They are, are they? So Oluwemi is likely so, to go. Yeah. But yeah, that's what they want to do. They want to loan out Oluwemi for experience. I after think extending him. from seeing him towards the end of the season in a few cup games, I think match experience is what he needs because he's a decent shot stopper. But you can't really recreate the the match environment, can you? In training artificially, completely. So I think, well, yeah, what Oluwemi needs is is match experience. Interesting as well, isn't it? I was looking at some of the numbers for him. Eighth in League One in shot stopping percentage, 74.82%. Ninth in prevented goals in League One as well. But what I think is interesting as well is people do give away a lot of chances from crosses and from set plays. Um, they're the seventh worst team defending set, set plays in the league. Conceded 18 goals. They gave five more away than Pompey from set pieces as well, which is something else to just to give you a bit of a mark on that as well. And the fourth highest XG against in set plays as well. So I think as a goalkeeper, when you've got quite two fairly small centre-backs as well, Peterborough have, they haven't got such a commanding sort of like backline. Frankie Kent's good, but he's not necessarily good in the air. So I, I generally think that he'll get a bit more protection, hopefully, at Pompey. What do you think about that, Fred? Yeah, I think so too. Um, Norris being six foot four himself, it, it leads to him being able to command his area properly, just purely by height. Like you mentioned earlier, 4.33 prevented goals in his half a season, which is very good. And that takes into account the quality of shots against him, <clears throat> letting in 23 goals from 80 shots and 10 clean sheets. is pretty solid from that half season. So very similar to Matt Gracie. Distribution-wise, because obviously that's been a big thing with keepers recently, he was ninth in League One for goalkeepers who played at least 10 games for pass accuracy, uh, just under Matt Macy. I think Matt Macy was two places higher. Um, for specific distribution, though, such as long passing percentages, passes to final third, and progressive passes, he was quite low down the list, being right at the bottom, which concerned me a little bit, but then I looked at some of the other keepers that were near there. Um, one of them was Michael Cooper at Plymouth, who, got, who obviously got promoted. The other being Trafford, who was at Bolton. Very good keeper, arguably one of the best in League One last season. And we and we know that distribution, I think, at this level isn't everything. I would rather have just a solid keeper who can command his area properly and make some quality saves. And then distribution is secondary. If he's got the composure to do nice, simple passes, if you want to play it from the back, I, I think that's fine. And then obviously mixing it up a bit with the odd... Longer goal kick is quite essential, isn't it? So, yeah, like I said, a fairly solid pickup. They're back, I think Pompey's recruitment team are banking on him, continuing to have that impressive half season like he did at Peterborough. And then basically from that, he's pretty much gained the starting job here at Pompey unless we bring in another name for some competition. Yeah, I think I don't think that's going to be the case. I think it's going to be bringing in someone with potential who can who can put him on the bench as well, and then put Oluwemi out on loan. But you never know. I suppose it's been quite a surprising start to the transfer window. Andy, what are your feelings on him being a permanent signing rather than a loan signing? We've had quite a revolving door, haven't we, of keepers in the last few years? Yeah, exactly that. I think the change in tact or the change of approach here is quite refreshing overall. If we're looking at the signings we've made so early in the window. And I saw a stat the other day, it was something along the lines of that Messino's had more permanent signings in the first five days of the window than Cowley had in sort of the first year or two years, or maybe in his entire tenure at 
Pompey. There, there was a stat, something along those lines, that yeah, Mussinho has just been backed with these permanent transfers far more than Cowley has. And you know, there might be reasons for that to do with the different structure and levels of trust in that structure of our recruitment team now. But yeah, it's it's something that we've been kind of calling out for, isn't it? It's whilst you do need to bring in loans, and it's a good opportunity to have um, you know, younger players from a higher level playing. I think when you're looking at a back, like a defensive line, that continuity is really, really important because you know you you get that that building block of a back four and the goalkeeper. And the more they play together, the more they know where the others are coming from. And, you know, they just get used to playing together. So I think building up a base of ideally permanent transfers at the back and then having a, you know, a flair players, potentially it's easier to fit into the side on a loan spell because a flair player is a flair player within reason. Whereas, yeah, that back, that back unit you want a bit of consistency and coherence there that you can only really get from time spent playing together. So yeah, I quite like it. And in terms of if it's a success, you've got the player on the books. I mean, it was obviously never an actual possibility to even consider getting Bazuna on a deal for on a permanent deal for very obvious reasons at the time. But just imagine if you took a risk and it, it had ended out with a, a player playing to that standard and you had him on the books for three years, you're absolutely loving life. So yeah, I'm I'm pleased, TLDR. Yeah. It shows that they well, the sort of players that they're after. Because, I mean, look at the five signings so far. It's a mixture of young players, two players, in my opinion, who are solid enough for League One. And then the other is betting on a player who had a very good season two seasons ago. And then that's so last season. Uh, we'll come on to Antti Scully in a bit. But a lot of it is, it seems solid recruitment enough that it's obvious that they've got a strategy this time. Let's move on then. Connor Shaughnessy signs on a free transfer, was let go, well, basically didn't sign with Burton Albion. He's one player, I think they offered a contract to, 26 years old, plays a centre back, can play in midfield as well. Although, from speaking to Ed Walker on the podcast last week, he seems to think that he's much better suited to playing in defence than he is to playing in midfield. He's obviously quite tall. Ed Walker actually described him as a bit of a ball player on the right and likes a switch pass, which is, I think it was interesting considering some of the stats were saying that he's not necessarily the best passer at the back. And I'm sure Freddie will come on to that. But um, people talking about him being injury worries. I mean, he scored on his opener in his return from injury. He scored the opener, sorry, on his return against Barnsley in April. So he's sort of come back from injury in that sense. I'm not too worried about fitness issues with him there. What are we thinking about this then? Andy, you can kick it off first. Connor Shaughnessy from Burton Albion. Yeah, that centre-back position is obviously something that needs filling at the moment with uh, Robertson disappearing off to Israel, wasn't it? Which is uh, not one we predicted towards the end of the season. But yeah, with him disappearing off and then Bernard obviously is up in the air having left Man United, but haven't heard anything concrete relating to a deal with us, which obviously we would jump right on. But it's a position that needed addressing fairly, fairly early doors. It ties in with what I just said about having that back line, having you know, an entire pre-season together to sort of choreograph how they're going to be playing together in, you know, at the start of the season and save that learning curve from being there when it actually matters in the first 10, uh, 10 league games of the season. And yeah, it comes with fairly decent reviews. Seems, as you say, that, that long diagonal ball that yeah, I'm assuming Freddie has got some, some stats lined up for Fairly classic League One, especially from kickoff. You play it back to the centre-back and then you play a long diagonal and then 
normally concede a throw uh, concede a throw indirectly from it. So it'd be nice if we could break the mold on that one a little bit. But um, yeah, Fred, have you got any stats in particular lined up for for Connor Shaughnessy that are going to blow our minds? Yeah, I, I will do in just a second. I think when I first saw the transfer, again, it was similar in the way with Norris. I wasn't jumping up and down, but I, I at least heard of him as a solid defender. But I immediately thought of how Burton Albion play. And obviously, passing out from the back isn't a big thing for them. So I thought, oh, we'll see if it actually, if it, if he's able to do that. And, and look at his injury record as well. That was also a bit of a worry. Um, it seems like they're banking on Shaughnessy to stay fit or if they bring in another centre-half as well as he could be part of a rotation, which is also very nice. He's played at both sides of centre-half, so he's played on the left and the right, which is quite versatile. Um, it's always good that a, a centre-half can play on both ends of the stick as well. Um, what else did Ed Walker say about him, Hugh? Because... You know, looking at it, looking at the sort of signing, it seems not not overwhelming to me. Uh, while I bring these stats up, he was speaking about the fact I I discussed his mobility. He said he's definitely not slow. However, one thing Ed Walker did mention, and people go back and listen to it because I'm, I'm going to paraphrase Ed Walker, but he mentioned about the fact that Burton play a very low block. So my concern with him is that. Passes being played in behind him. His tackling stats aren't amazing, as we've seen. So he said he's kind of good at breaking up the play. He's good in the air. He's a good aerial threat going forward. He can pass the ball out a bit, short pass out. My only issue really is that it's it's, it's going to be quite a slow back line, isn't it? Again, if you play him high up the pitch, because if Pompey do try and play the possession game and pass it around in the opposition's, you know, uh, pass around the opposition's half. I don't, I'm a bit worried we'd be a bit exposed at the back there. And Ed said he'd never seen him do that because effectively Burton don't play that kind of football. And the funniest thing was, which you're going to love for Freddie, Freddie, is he is Burton's reserve long throw taker. Brilliant. He, even though he's massive <laughs> and should be in the box, apparently. Yeah, well, but well, yeah, there's, there's a band, the area. There's a band this season on... There's a ban this season on towels, isn't there? So maybe the long throw game, especially in those winter months, is uh, is going to be going out the window a little bit if we're not allowed to store towels on the touchline for Marlon Pack and, and Shaughnessy anymore. Maybe we'll see a change of tack in terms of attacking style. I can't be bothered so to talk about that. long throws. I really can't. It's just it's not what gets me going. I'm surprised. We actually did mention the towels as well, so check it out for that reason. But... From my understanding, he said he's a player who can contribute towards a playoff side, but he's not going to be one of the the main players who takes you over the line. He's not going to be like a Colby Bishop or a, he mentioned a Marlon Pack or he's going to be a useful player within the squad. And let's be honest, we need useful players in the squad. And if he overachieves, that's great. But if he's just starting centre-back at the start of the season, then I'm going to have a few concerns. So I think Andrew Moon mentioned about going out and getting Bernard this is nothing to do with it. They're two separate types of deals. And because of that, whether it's Bernard or someone else, I see this as a backup rotation player who can play in lots of different positions as a utility player. So people need to just calm down a little bit when they're worried about this being yeah, our yeah, starting yeah. pair. That's a, that's a big thing. You have to think about which, which players are going to play in what position and how often they're going to do that, especially when, well, Pompey's recruitment team came out before the transfer window. They wanted 10 players. Not all of them are going to be first team players. It's just, and that and that would be the same at pretty much any any football club in the country, wasn't it? 
Yeah, looking at these passing stats, they're not brilliant, to be honest with you. As a general, 62.54% passing accuracy uh, for League One centre-halves. Off the top of my head, that's about below average. Forward passing accuracy, uh, at 40, just over 45%, pretty similar. But then again, we've got to also take into account that Burton have been playing a low block. They don't play out from the back very often. Their centre-halves, the, pri- the, the primary thing is win, win those aerial duels and clear the ball. And then maybe a, a long, a long clearance for a counter attack, isn't it? So he's coming. So Connor Shaughnessy will be coming into a different defensive environment, which I think it is going to be a big thing. See how he adapts to that. Cool. Enough time spent on that. Let's move on. Christian Sadie signed off from the undisclosed fee for Bournemouth. I was also someone trying to tell me it was going to be a less than six figure fee. I don't have a clue, but that sounds very cheap if that's the case. But We've got a striker in. And now, before we start getting into the detail of this and going into the analytics and stuff, I want to just put it out there that it was always going to be difficult to get a player to sign with some quality who's going to effectively play, potentially back up to Colby Bishop, especially a sort of a young striker with a lot of potential. I think for that reason, we bought in Christian Sadie. It's it's a pretty good deal, really. We've got a young striker here who's got EFL experience. He's not, I mean, geography is not a huge issue, but he's not having to move to come and play for us. He wanted to come to the team for that reason. He's got a lot of bit of pace about him. He's athletic. He runs the channels. He's got a good shot on him. So I think this could be quite a smart signing. What are we saying, Andy? Yeah, I thought I saw, in terms of pace, I thought I saw, uh, was it Ollie from the Salop cast say that he didn't think he was overly pacey? I think it was. Uh, our our friend and lover Jack Hancock, who said that he had a bit of pace about him, and the Salop cast jumped in and went, "Nah, disagree." I'll decide what I've seen him play. You know, from from what I've seen in terms of the feedback from Bournemouth fans, is that like there's there's a couple of fans I've I've seen comments from who've seen him play in the resies and in sort of you know non first team games, obviously, and said that he does bring quite a lot of the team, quite a lot to the team outside of pure goal scoring in that he's one of those players that maybe doesn't get as much credit as he should do because it's less glamorous and it doesn't end up with him, you know, putting in nine out of 10 match winning performances, but he creates the space and kind of creates the opportunity for other players, let's say Colby Bishop, to have those opportunities with a higher XG from each chance. So yeah, in terms of in terms of uh, this signing, the Cherries fans I've seen say he's got a really good work rate pretty highly rated and apparently Eddie Howe rated him quite highly when uh, when he was at Bournemouth so that's quite a big glowing recommendation as far as I'm concerned so yeah if you look at him purely on paper you say potentially not a groundbreaking exciting to use Fred's phrase jumping up and down kind of signing but football isn't played on paper as uh, let's get the cliches in there and what we need is someone who's going to result in Colby Bishop getting more of those chances because assuming he stays, we know that he is going to consistently score through the season if he's getting those opportunities. So yeah, this might just not be one of those glamorous signings, but one that benefits the team as a whole. Looking at some of the highlights from Christian Sazy, I think one of the things that I saw in the short amount of clips, it'll be different for maybe a fan who's seen much more of him. He seemed to be very positionally aware in the penalty area. There was a goal against Burton where he was pretty much right in the right place on the edge of the penalty area, then lashes it across low and hard into the corner. Um, Another goal which really impressed me was um, a goal against Cambridge United where he bodies the fullback, 
then was able to dribble into the penalty area, but had the composure not to shoot immediately as soon as he went into the penalty area. Dribbled around multiple defenders to make sure he actually had a clear shot and goal. And that really impressed me, really. Um, his metrics stand out as well. Um, he got his seven goals for Shrewsbury from 4.72 XG. Pretty good over playing his numbers. And then two assists from 2.6 expected assists. Again, very good. Shows that you can pretty much play and bring other players in. His dual metrics aren't that high from a first glance. He's not a phys- He doesn't, purely looking at the statistics, he's not a physical player. And his dribbling stats are about average for League One as well. Again, I see this as a project signing. 21 years old. At first, I looked at it on paper and I thought, ooh, seven goals and three assists in 53 league games in total for Burton and Shrewsbury across his time. Doesn't jump out at you. But then watching a few of his highlights, looking at some of the more in-depth metrics from last season, it's the sort of player you would expect to sign to be the backup for Bishop, to bring off off the bench, offer something a bit different. And because of that alone, but bringing in a young player like that, why not? It's a, it's the sort of thing that Pompey said they were going to do and are doing, aren't they? Yeah, and it's like, what's the alternative in this setting as well for this position to fill this role in the squad? Go and get another Dane Scarlett on loan from a Premier League team who doesn't play enough. And then is disinterested by partway through the season? I think we spoke about his impact from the bench as well. You can just see Massinio bringing him on when we need to get a goal, can't you? Because finishing tight in the box and shooting seems to be one of his best attributes, really, doesn't it? I think when you need a goal and you can bring on a striker who can help stretch the defence a bit more and help sort of um, put some shots on goals, help score some goals, I think that's what you want to do. And it is a long-term project. I think he signs a three-year contract. So, again, 21-year-old, three-year contract, a bit of time to work with him as well. It doesn't have to work out bang straight away. I'm, I'm pretty happy with this signing overall. Let's get on to the next one then. Anthony Scully, who just literally signed yesterday. Again, I think he's 24 years old. Got him from Wigan. Obviously, he played for Wigan last season after signing from Lincoln the season before. He had a hernia op issue, which he think, I think he got fixed in March, which did sort of hamper his season last season with Wigan. But the fact that we did discuss him before, I believe, Fred, with Gabe Sutton on the Summer Transfer podcast, it's going to be quite interesting when we have another in-depth chat about him because he is an interesting player. And if he can get firing, there was 11 goals, seven assists before for Lincoln for the season before, he could be quite an asset. Now, there is a few things. I have a a few small concerns about him as a player. He's one of those players that, I remember when we spoke to the guys at Lincoln and we'll try and get them on the podcast and the Stacey West, and they said they were not quite sure where to play him. That was the one comment they had sometimes within the system. And I think Pompey fans can relate to this from a direct comparison that he's quite a similar sort of mould player as Ronan Curtis in the level that he's an inside forward, likes to come in, he likes to sort of cut in and shoot. You can shoot with both feet, to be fair to him as well. He's not completely one-footed. But he is a player that I think will, will contribute with goals and assists when he goes. But when you fit him into the system, it'll be interesting to see how John Massinio fits him in. And I think it'll be quite a good job he'll be doing quite a good job if he can find a way of sort of utilising him well within his system. This is something that didn't happen easily at Lincoln, despite his scoring stats. I don't know what you think about that, Fred. Yeah, um, I rated Anthony Scully as a player, but immediately when I signed him, I thought, hang on, we're signing another winger 
who will be playing on the side of their wrong foot, which has created a lot of problems for Pompey this season in terms of they can't counter-attack quickly because the wingers take a lot of time to get the ball into their strong foot. The defence comes back and they pack the penalty area and then Bishop's crowded out a lot. From looking at the highlight packs of when he was at Lincoln, he can, like you said earlier, Hugh, he can score and assist with both feet. Um, he's not scared of crossing with his left foot, which is, I think is a big thing, especially for an inside forward. That Wigan move definitely dropped him off, didn't it? Especially with the injuries. It, it can happen, can't it? Um, but no, and again, it, it's strange that really I would have thought we would go after just pacey dribbling wingers, but Anthony Scully doesn't really seem to be that. Like you said, he's more of an inside forward or an inside winger, positionally very astute, has has small bursts of pace, but not lightning quick, I don't think. He's a quality player, I, I do think, just from looking at him and he's got a lot of composure. But like you said, I'm not I'm not sure where he fits. Will they play him on the left of a 4-3-3 and keep the wingers and the striker very tight together and play quite centrally? That could be one way of doing it, I suppose. I'm not sure what you think, Andy, from seeing this signing. Yeah, um, my first instinct looking at Anthony Scully, who, again, someone I've seen play at Fratton, but not really, you don't take in every player that Pompey come up against, have you? But I've looked back and I've seen him play at Fratton. He didn't make a lasting impression. But first thought was he looked a bit um, sort of older than the sort of the new exciting signing you tend to bring in over the off season. And then it turns out he's eight years younger than me and is actually 24 years old, which was a bit of a come down to earth for my self-esteem. But I looked at, um, I think it was Forgotten Pompey Goals, give a shout out for some really good compilation packs that, um, that he puts together on Twitter and a nice bloke as well. We've, we've met him once and we hear the, the podcast recording thing, but um, he put together a package of, it was a game where I think Scully sort of assisted three and scored two for Lincoln or assisted two and scored three. Can't remember which way around it was. And, you know, basing my entire judgment of a player off a three and a half minute highlights package, as is our want as podcast recorders, and then to say things as gospel, um, it looked like a handy little player. And, like you said, potentially quite adaptable in terms of exactly where we play him on the pitch. We know that Curtis is out for a fairly extensive period of time, even if he does stick around longer term. I mean, realistically, we're looking at what Christmas maybe for for edging back towards match fitness. Um, obviously, we don't know exactly how his rehab's going. So, yeah, I think worst case scenario is he joins Curtis on the the rehab bench because obviously at, at Wigan, he, I think he played a total of three or four games and just didn't have the opportunity because of that injury history. But it is a really nice opportunity for him to sort of resurrect this part of his career because his numbers at Lincoln were, were pretty good, to be honest with you, for someone playing in that position. And yeah, it's again, one of those players, like I said earlier, that you're looking for a bit of creativity to, yes, score some goals, but also create those opportunities for Colby Bishop. And I do feel like that these signings are kind of being made for me with Colby Bishop as the focal point. That might be completely wrong, but that's the way I see them, which suggests to me fairly hopefully that they're not seeing him leaving. And I hope I'm right in that, but they all seem to be leaning towards fitting into a system that is focused around chance creation for Bishop up top. But I um, mean, yeah, I'm pretty happy with this. And again, he's coming back from a, you know, a couple of injury issues, fairly long-term where He's coming back with a point to prove and he's going to be driven. He's coming in with a chance to kind of 
I know it sounds silly maybe to say he's re- resurrecting his career at 24, but he's trying to make an impact after a lot of time out injured. So if you know that's one of the biggest drivers to to perform is that I think to kind of make a point and come back from injury. So I'm I'm fairly excited for this one. I think this again, a bit like Devlin, is a bit more that bit, bit more of a exciting snazzy signing rather than your standard building blocks type of signing. Andy, do you think it's fair to say as well, he's come back from, he had basically had this niggling hernia issue last season, which then was, he, had, he actually went under the knife eventually. Apparently it was hampering him in training and things like that. I think it's pretty fair to say that post hernia op sort of operations, it's not like he's torn an ACL or something. It should be something that's quite recoverable for from over the summer training. Yeah, you'd sincerely hope so. And it's, I mean, you see with your ACLs that, yeah, there's a there's a very high level of recurrence after that initial ACL problem. And as far as I know, that's not necessarily the case with a, with a hernia, uh, to my knowledge. Again, don't at me. Not like I've got a doctorate in it or anything. <laughs> but yeah, as you say, with what well, we've got, what, two months-ish until first game of the season, you know, eight weeks of, uh, that's sort of two-thirds of a standard training programme, which you'd think is about normally about 12 weeks. So plenty of time to to get fitness up to to match level and as you say once you bounce back it kind of like with calf niggles where if you come back too soon you can't you feel like you're ready normally two to three weeks before you actually are and if you come back too soon you get that recurrence so assuming which i think we need to assume that doesn't happen here and they are patient and and progress the rehab at an appropriate pace to make sure he is match fit then there's no reason it would hamper us or or hamper him specifically in that run up to Christmas but again this has got all the hallmarks of a sound bite when he redoes his hernia in the third game of the season but uh, we'll just take the podcast down this episode if that happens exactly we do we do things classy here but he had the surgery three months ago so I think I'm pretty hopeful that that's, that's all good and good in the hood or whatever um, I was tra- chatting online to some people and I thought it was interesting to say that Freddie, when you pointed out the Devlin playing those little balls through, et cetera, to the striker, I almost feel like Colby Bishop was sort of this only man up last season, wasn't he? No one else was getting in the box. No one else was getting around him to sort of create chances, shoot, et cetera. And maybe with people like Scully and Lane on each shoulder of him, defenders are going to be pulled either side to try and to try and mark them. They sort of, I assume with Scully, he tends to sort of draw defenders into him as well because they're trying to watch out for the shot. And like, if you go back to the old references, even when you had the Curtis low wingers and people going past Hawkins, I mean, we've got a much better striker, let's be honest here. But you might even see Colby Bishop scoring quite a lot of cutback goals where the, where the wingers sort of beat past the first defender, bring another defender in, and then the ball gets laid back as well as being able to score. So I think it's a really good signing if if Massinio can work out a way of tactically making it work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we've seen many squads do very well with having front frees that are all competitive, that, that could do a little bit of everything, that can cross the ball, have a little bit of pace, but could also strike themselves. And he, Scully seems like that. He's a bit of everything. He's not just a winger, because people who were looking at it and thinking, oh, if Cole Bishop was the only, fo- only focal point, there'll be the, just an explosive winger who can dribble really well and can cross really well. If Anthony Scully can do that, but also have positional sense to cut in, then it adds another dimension on top, doesn't it? Indeed. Um, is there anything else we need to talk about while we're all here before Andy goes off to watch the cricket? I think so. Well, well, we'll have to wait and see, I suppose, because 
well, Pompey, if they if they stick into their guns, they still want five more signings on top of what we've already brought in. The transfer special might end up being redundant if Pompey get their business done really quickly. And the nation gonna... holds its breath, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, you look so sad when I said that. <laughs> I, I really value the transfer special, Fred. <laughs> Actually I'm actually sad about happen. it. We've actually done some work into it as well, and he's been shattered by Pompey's efficiency. Effectively, I was going and to say quite... it is also about the highest performing shows as well. The transfer specials. So that's a knock on us, isn't it? Highest performing shows yet. When we leave, when we win League One this year, the figures will go through the roof, and you won't need to worry about the transfer specials anymore. I do quite like that we're doing this business so early. That I mean, for me, ideal is we get to transfer deadline day and while everyone else is running around like headless chickens, throwing in exaggerated bids and doing last minute negotiations. I quite like the idea of us having a settled squad on the training ground, doing the groundwork for the first day of the season and then not having to do any introductions of, oh, this is whoever he's starting alongside you in the game in three days time kind of thing, which, you know, we see particularly in the January transfer window, we see quite a lot. I think, didn't Tyler Walker like come directly to the game or something when he signed for Pompey? Or like it was like less than 24 hours before or something. It was like, hi, I'm going to be the next useless number nine that plays with you. Nice to meet you kind of thing. So I'll be quite happy if we get it done early. We can all put our feet up for a few weeks. We can all go on holiday and I don't need to worry about missing any news while I'm asleep abroad. And and Fred can spend his summer, you know, eating canapes and and drinking pink gin in a tin on the beach as he as he usually does. And Hugh, you can just do the the things that I won't say on here because uh, that lead to me being accused of being libelous and possibly a lawsuit against you. But we can all do our thing if Pompey get it done early. Yeah, I appreciate that. And just talking about things I appreciate, <laughs> shout out to the review on Apple Podcast. Much appreciated. Akushti Giza, I like the name as well. Appreciate the five-star review. <laughs> Always a great listen. I mean, I could read it out. Shall I read it out? If not, yeah. Freddie's nodding. I'm always not sure. It's the best and far away, most balanced ports of podcasts and social media channel around with offerings of insight, wit and entertainment. Play out Pompey. I'm guessing your sense of humor, Fred, hasn't brought the podcast down on that. So I, I was going to say, I'm surprised when he said wit. <laughs> That's right. Freddie's talking about me. Don't, don't worry. All good. Or he was trying to spell the word twit and just it was a typo there. I don't know. One or the other. But more than, to be more fair, than likely, yeah, to be fair. We, we never actually do that. We should say, yeah, please go and do you know, a review on Apple or whatever. We never actually do that, do we? We probably should no. be asking people to review us more because it helps with the um, the algorithm on the Apple, on, on uh, the podcast store and rankings. Weren't we like 45th most downloaded podcast in, was it Vietnam at one point? I yeah. swear that was a thing like a season <laughs> Someone's ago. Someone's got like a, some serious VPN going on there, I reckon. Do you think? <laughs> do you not think it's actually someone sat on the beach in Vietnam just listening to the PO forecast or like the Vietnam Portsmouth Supporters Club? Uh, drop us a buzz if that's a thing. I'd love it. If um, you are yeah. in Vietnam, please hit us up at PO Forecast. Yeah, uh, and yeah, thank, yeah. thank you for downloading it. So we made it onto the top, whatever it was, for Vietnam sports podcasts. That was a, that was a weird day. That was. Should, shall I do it then? Shall I do some sort of like hosting bit? Sort of like, go on then. You love us. Help us out, everyone. Hit a five star review, Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. No, I can't do it. It's just too long. Nah. Too we, should, yeah. we should be learning to say hello and welcome to the PO forecast in as many uh, as many languages as, as possible. So, like, Sawabona, Zdrastvutje, Priviet, Hola, Bonjour. What have we got lined up, lads? 
I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping you can do an Australian accent since you're you're going out there, Andy. Yeah, I, I, Australia. I would rather do one without the risk of being lynched on landing. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on that at this time. My my plan is over then. I was hoping to get rid of you that way, but uh, it's not happened, is it? Have to be an anonymous tip off to the border forces instead that will stop me from getting into the country. <laughs> Another classic Hugh Bunce prank. Yeah. Do you want me to come around and help pack your suitcase for you? Just, just leave a load of coke in one of the bags. <laughs> <laughs> the classic prank. Yeah. Good day, lads. I've got a, I've got a tip off for you. No, it's whey protein. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, my mum went through uh, airport security once. And they thought she had heroin, but actually it was just paella rice, which is very packed into sort of like <laughs> blocks and very dense. So when we went through the scanner. They were like, oh, you. I mean, naturally, they thought it was my bag. So um, I did the honourable thing, sticking up for my mum and said, it's not mine, it's hers. And then just walked off. Quite right too. Is it? Exactly. Is it Bridget Jones 2 or something? I swear I got made to watch this a few years ago. Oh dear. And um, yeah, made to watch it. It's like number three on my all time. No. Um, and yeah, she gets screwed over in um, in customs and ends up in a, ta- in a jail in like Bangkok or something, doesn't she, in Thailand? So yeah, um, bearing in mind, you know, the countries that you fly through to get to was have quite strict and ruthless border laws it's places like you know uae and singapore and and bangkok none of them are places i particularly want to get banged up by the border force so uh if we can if we can pass on the planting evidence and class a's in my hand luggage i'd be grateful on so, this so occasion. what you're saying is we just we just go down to south sea beach on board instead no go to wales that's where you should go Wait. representing the welsh tourist board i'm going there when i get back from oz six nights in the breckens that's the real holiday for the year yeah, bugger that month in, is it a month, is it, or six weeks in Australia? Uh, six weeks this year, yeah. Yeah. But um, anyway, I'm very grateful to you boys for not saying the word Armenia during this episode. That's my that's my final thank you, um, because I'm, I'm, I'm quite angry about that game. So I'm the very grateful. Was absolutely not, not, not as angry as Trevor L, surely. Uh, I, I haven't asked him to compare, Fred. I actually haven't, um, didn't look at the stats right at the end of the game, but since Andy brought it up, I thought the funniest thing was that the keeper at one point had made no saves and let four goals in. Yeah, it's like my old five-a-side team when I was playing between the sticks, yeah. To be fair, some of the finishes from the Armenian strikers in that game were class, but the problem is they were straight away let in by defensive howlers. The problem is, Fred, yeah, that sentence, there were some class finishes from the Armenian strikers, just isn't a sentence that has ever been said in football before, which makes it problematic that Wales were on the receiving end of it. I think it does say more about the Welsh defence than, no offence, the Armenian you know, strike force. I think the funniest thing is when I looked at the highlights this morning, Dean Saunders in the first five minutes basically said, oh, if Wales can play like the usual, then uh, then it would be should be a comfortable win. Freddie, can you name any Armenian football players? Uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan, that's one. Any others? Uh, oh, in the current squad? In the current squad. I can't remember the striker. Um, I literally watched the highlights this morning. There was a guy called Ranos who scored a brace in that game, but I, uh, to say that I knew him beforehand, I'd be lying. Yeah, Grant Leon Ranos, he is at Bayern Munich, I believe. All right, he's not, he's not a bad player then. I think. Maybe. Or Bayern Munich seconds, maybe. <laughs> I don't know, one of them. <laughs> Well, you know, how, how did they stand? How did Wales stand a chance playing a Pompey? Yeah, it's, unfortunately, it's Bayern Munich second team, so maybe slightly less impressive. Well, uh, what are we doing? Wales panicked and bought, bought Joe Morell on, took Aaron Ramsey off, get him off the pitch. We need some goals now. Get Joe on. I was, expect, I was expecting potentially a, 
a Joe Morrell hat trick there, followed by a red card, just to match the shirt colour and just tap it against it. Away he goes. I hate football. All right, I think we're done now, aren't we? This is this is just I'm very, evolving very into done. this is I'm devolving into a very summer style episode. But <laughs> thanks everyone for listening. We're back next week with hopefully some more content when we talk about one of the new players in another podcast. I'll just leave it at that. There's lots of stuff going on. But until next time. Oh, do it all the time. Andy, thanks for coming on the podcast. Cheers, Mush. Freddie, same to you, mate. Always a pleasure, Hugh. Thank you. Enjoy your summer. <laughs> Well, I'll speak to you in a few days' time. But until next time, play out Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.